It's the annual meeting of our denomination, uh, most often in June, um, and it, it, it kind of hops around from city to city, but uh, presbyteries have to host General Assembly, and so uh, since the PCA is predominantly a southern denomination, southeastern denomination, that's where the presbyteries are the largest, it tends to be more often uh, in, in the south, and so uh, this year it was in Birmingham, uh, and uh, we had the, the largest uh, number of commissioners uh, teaching elders, and then the ruling elder, ruling elder representatives from each church. We had over 2,300 uh, this year, so it was a, a very large uh, assembly. Uh, but I wanted to just point out a few of these stats that you see just to kind of get a, a glimpse of, of the size of the PCA, and, and I'll caveat these stats with the fact that uh, the denomination, when it puts together these numbers, um, is subject to the local congregations giving the numbers to the denomination. Uh, and, and it always seems that they say, you know, only half of the churches reported, which always makes me wonder, like, does this mean that these numbers are like half as big? You know, like we should like times two with all of them. Uh, but it could be that a lot of the churches that are reporting are, are smaller churches, you know, that, that don't have um, the organization, even the ruling elders uh, to put together these, these numbers. So uh, it, it does seem that the PCA is probably bigger than this, but not probably too much bigger would be my guess. I've never asked that question. Uh, we do know that we have 88 presbyteries. That's exact. Uh, our presbytery here, Presbytery of Mississippi Valley and Mississippi, there are three, Grace in the South, Covenant in the North. Um, there are 1,593 churches, 318 mission churches. Uh, those would be church plants uh, that have been approved by Presbytery. Uh, over 5,100 teaching elders, and of course, many of those uh, are honorably retired, uh, campus ministers, missionaries, uh, seminary professors, folks who are ministering outside the bounds. That means they're not uh, in a church like someone who would be teaching at RTS, say. Um, and then uh, over 378,000 total members uh, and almost almost a billion uh, in total disbursements, right? Nine hundred and and sixty million dollars in total disbursements from all of the PCA churches giving to the church, giving to missionaries. So those are encouraging numbers. Uh, now, a few of the the numbers that were concerning uh, to our our stated clerk, uh, Dr. Brian Chapel, the average age of PCA members is fifty five, uh, and he noted the average age of Muslims in the United States is thirty two. Uh, and so that's uh, perhaps a, a concerning number, right, like that we have an older congregation. Uh, we had our third consecutive year of slight decline in membership. Last year we dropped uh, by about 400 people, this year by about 5,000 uh, people. Um, but professions of faith grew uh, by about 1,000. And so, um, you know, different ways to, to read those, uh, those statistics. So uh, Dr. Chapel did note these uh, these strengths of our denomination, a strong ministry core. And what he means by that is that the average age of our active ministers is 51. So uh, I think he's comparing it to other evangelical gospel-believing churches and, and sees that that's a younger number uh, than some other churches. So that's encouraging. Uh, our church planning efforts continue to be uh, vigorous and, and, and aggressive in our uh, presbyteries. Uh, clearly, we're a generous kind of, uh, denomination. Um, even that as the pandemic uh, transpired, I think what, what we experience as a congregation, many congregations experience, right, that giving has been strong overall. Um, and so our, our giving was up $25 million 
uh, for, you know, year to year. And so that was an encouragement. Uh, an increasing number of covenant children, uh, both being born and, and also uh, being involved in, in Sunday school. One of the, the, the stats that Ken, our stated clerk, keeps track of is Sunday school attendance. And, uh, and as you can imagine, during the COVID years, uh, that number plummeted across the denomination. Thankfully, I doubt it uh, plummeted too much here in our own congregation, but across the denomination, certainly. And yet there is still um, that, that's picking back up and ch- babies are being born, children are being uh, baptized. So that's an encouraging. And then of course, uh, as, as you know, from our own congregation, the whole denomination does have a huge heart for missions. And so uh, a lot of encouraging things, just when you kind of look at those, at those numbers. All right. So I'm going to stop now and, and let Ken come up, uh, and kind of share a little bit more about the, the assembly itself. Uh, and then we'll jump into some of these actions that you see there. Okay, so I will try to be brief and cover the entire General Assembly. No. Um, um, but uh, giving you a little bit of perspective, a little bit from more of a ruling elder perspective, um, the Presbyt- our Presbyterian, a lot of Presbyteries, and the General Assembly itself um, is always trying to think of ways to encourage ruling elders uh, to go. Um, I know our presbytery has a, a scholarship fund um, that some years gets used and some years it doesn't. Um, <clears throat> the General Assembly, I think most of the teaching elders uh, may know this, that next year the fee for the ruling elders is going to go down um, probably by 25 or 30%, which means we're sticking it to the teaching elders. So. The churches are paying for it one way or the other, but in a way to hopefully encourage more ruling elders' uh, attendance. Um, I I know for a lot of ruling elders, because we talk about this at at Presbytery a little bit, that sometimes it's not the money. um, I mean, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just getting a week off of work um, along with vacation. But they're doing things to try to encourage more ruling elders, um, excuse me, to come. So Caleb mentioned um, the, the word commissioners. Uh, so anybody that goes, well, the, all the teaching elders who go, but the ruling elders who are elected by their congress, uh, congregation to go, and Pear Orchard can send three, um, both to Presbytery and to General Assembly. Um, the, all of that is, we're called commissioners. And um, one of the things that I was nominated Uh, I found out later by surprise that I was nominated for a committee of commissioners. Um, And so uh, I had to kind of think about that for a minute, but I got an email telling me what it was, and this was the committee for RUF. So what happens at General Assembly, the first two days before General Assembly even opens um, and before they have the opening ceremony, all of the agencies, there's, uh, I mean committees, there's 10 standing committees um, that the PCA has, um, and you, you know uh, several of them, MNA, MTW, uh, but there's also the Administrative Committee, which is in charge of the whole uh, of the General Assembly meetings, um, Discipleship Ministries, um, uh, let's see, Covenant College, Covenant Seminary, the Ridge Haven um, Camp in North Carolina, the PCA Foundation, um, uh, through which um, funding for uh, different events can, and different things can happen. And, um, and then, uh, a, well, the, the retirement benefits um, 
committee just changed names this spring. It's now called Geneva. Uh, but anyway, so any all of these standing committees have regular meetings throughout the year, just like any of their committees. But right before the General Assembly, they uh, all have a meeting of commit of elected commissioners, and so it's called the Committee of Commissioners. So there was, there will be anywhere from thirty to forty teaching elders or ruling elders that aren't on any of those standing committees will meet with that committee. So for instance, I was nominated to be on the um, Committee of Commissioners for RUF. Um, so went to that meeting <clears throat> and what we there in that meeting, uh, the RUF committee reported on um, you know things they did during through the year. For instance, things like how did they come transitioning out of COVID and not being able to meet with students, which I'm sure was probably a theme in, in a lot of the the committees. Um, and um, but also doing some business work, um, reviewing their budget, reviewing their audit. Uh, most of the agencies that have any financial money flowing through them are audited by outside firms and review that um, and then actually vote in the committee to approve their budget. So all of these details and, and any things that that meeting produces um, something that the, um, the whole General Assembly has to approve, all of that will eventually go before the, um, as part of the report, like when RUF gave their report, um, you know, and things like that. So that was an interesting thing to, to see and get to see a little bit of behind the doors of RUF and, and, um, and their ministry. Um, the, um, also, uh, one of an interesting thing there, well, uh, there's always, just like at all conventions um, and things like this, there's a big exhibition hall and so a, a lot of outside people, um, exhibitors come. So for instance, people, outside people, strangers like One Story Ministry and Log College Press, Log College Press, and um, Johnny and Friends Mississippi had a, a booth there also, and Marty and a couple of her folks were there, um, and people could find out about specifically disability side and, and some of the camps that we do. So they were all clustered right next to each other. So I don't know how they got that worked out, but um, uh, it was fun seeing all of them together and being able to go by. And then there's also a big bookstore there. Um, so if you want to go get books, um, I know Tammy must have bought $300 worth of books uh, for uh, not, not going into our library, but for women's ministry and things. So it's a great opportunity um, to pick up a lot of books um, at a good price. Um, and so then when General Assembly, when it opens, when it starts, um, the first evening um, that it starts, uh, there's always a worship service and there's always the Lord's Supper. Um, and each of the three evenings, um, there is a worship service and there is a, 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 a there's preaching. Um, so this year, uh, I know uh, several of us, all, or all of us that were there from Pear Orchard and any other Jackson folks that we saw were excited to hear uh, and see Albert McGowan was preaching on Wednesday night. So this is before everybody in front of the, the whole General Assembly. And um, I, I will say that that sermon um, could possibly be one of, sorry, Carl and Caleb, but could possibly, Caleb might agree, one of the best sermons I think I've ever heard, just in terms of 
the, the power of a sermon, the emotion of a sermon, uh, the content, the biblical. He walks through John uh, chapter 21. So I encourage you, uh, you can go listen to that. Um, you might find it out on YouTube, um, but you can go to the pcanet.org um, or just look up um, you know, 2022 PCA General Assembly and when you get to the PCA's website, there'll be a live stream button. And so you can click on that and then you can click on one that says watch now. So it's obviously it's not happening now, but the watch now leads you to a list of a bunch of the videos and um, Elbert's video is there on the right. It's um, definitely worth listening to. Um, and I, I think there's one that covers the whole service, but then one that just covers uh, Elbert's um, sermon. And uh, Caleb, I think that's about all I'm going to share, so short and sweet. Oh, here. Uh, no, I don't need to Here you go, here you go. Okay. All right. Uh, well, let me uh, walk you through just some of the actions that the assembly took. Let me say first that uh, Dean, Christian, and I were the teaching elder representatives, and then Eddie, Ken, and James Clark were our three ruling elder representatives uh, this year. Uh, the way that uh, the assembly works with regard to changes to our book of church order, this big, pretty blue book, um, is that you have to change the book of church order, uh, you have to uh, have a, the a majority of one general assembly and then two thirds of the 88 presbyteries have to approve those changes. And then it goes back to, for a second vote at the general assembly level. Uh, and so, you know, three series of votes are happening in order for a change, in order for the constitution of the PCA to be amended. Uh, and if you know your uh, civics, right, it's, there's a similar um, sort, sort of multi-stage facet even for amending uh, the, the U.S. Constitution. Uh, but let me uh, note first that uh, the moderator this year uh, that we elected was Mr. Uh, John Bice. He's a ruling elder from Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. And as, as you see there, uh, the church that our dear sister Mickey Smith uh, is attending is that church where he uh, serves as a ruling elder. Uh, and some of you may know Wilson Shirley, who is the pastor uh, of that congregation in Huntsville, Alabama. So that was uh, neat to, uh, to, to see. He's a faithful churchman that's labored in many different ways across the years. Um, and so it was a great honor for him to be elected as, as the moderator. And again, a moderator means uh, you are proceeding uh, uh, over a, a, you know, an assembly of 2,300 people uh, with like 10 or 12 different microphones. So it's, it's no small task. Uh, so uh, number two, and, and I will say I am a math major, and yet I don't know how to count uh, because I think I put two on there twice. Uh, so I apologize. Um, either that or I don't know how to use Microsoft Word. Uh, but uh, so the first number two, uh, we did approve, finally, sort of the, you know, the, the third stage of the process, we did approve six changes to our Book of Church order. Uh, these were approved at last year's General Assembly, approved by more than two-thirds of our 88 presbyteries, and then approved uh, at this General Assembly. And, and two of my, I wanted to just point out uh, to you, the, the one, BCO 22-2, Book of Church Order 22-2, uh, that underlined line is the part that was changed, an existing assistant pastor may be elected by the congregation as an associate pastor at the recommendation of the session without the election of a pulpit committee. Uh, you might know that the difference between assistant pastor and an associate pastor is that an assistant pastor is called by the session 
uh, and an associate pastor is called, voted on by the congregation. Uh, so in, in our case, um, Christian is an assistant pastor, Dean and Carl are associate pastors. Uh, and so if, uh, if and when, Lord willing, Christian were to become an associate pastor, the Book of Church Order previously wasn't so clear. Uh, do we have to have a, a, a pulpit committee made of congregants uh, in order to, 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 to make that recommendation to the congregation? And, and so now we've clarified it and made it explicit. No, the session can make a recommendation to the congregation just directly. We don't have to call a, a pulpit committee or form a pulpit committee in order to, to bring that recommendation to the congregation. Uh, so that's uh, good news for Christian. Um, uh, so, uh, so that's good. And then I won't read all of 38.1, but one of the things that, that the session is charged to do, of course, is church discipline. Uh, and uh, one of the, so oftentimes church discipline happens like this. Uh, a charge might be brought or a, a request for investigation might be brought uh, by someone against another person. And eventually that makes its way to the session. And oftentimes in the midst of those conversations, the person is willing to, to confess, to repent uh, of, of the sin that, that they're, they're acknowledging, they're pleading guilty essentially, right? And so um, it, it was a bit ambi ambiguous in the, the previous uh, BCO 38.1, uh, what did that confession need to look like? And so this, uh, this new statement uh, both clarifies what constitutes the confession, uh, but also prohibits any other information coming before the court when it uh, meets to render uh, a judgment um, in, in, that, in that case. And so uh, this is a, a helpful uh, change. So as I said, these are things that have already been approved. Now the, the second number two, uh, uh, we voted 1,030 to 699, so you see that was a pretty close vote, to withdraw from the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals. You, you may not be familiar with it, but it's a parachurch organization that uh, seeks to unite evangelical churches and ministries together um, particularly in regard to, to political involvement, political questions. And so over the past decade, there's been a, a serious attempt on the part of many to, to get the PCA out of the NAE, uh, both from the perspective of, look, we don't need a third-party group uh, speaking for us, and oftentimes the things that they are speaking about are things that we would not feel comfortable uh, making any sort of political statement about at all, uh, in our confessional standards, uh, we read this, that the church, as the church, the courts of the church, are not to intermeddle in civil affairs which concern the commonwealth unless by way of humble petition in cases extraordinary, uh, as we'll, we'll see that here below. Uh, and so um, the, the, the positions that often the NAA are advocating for, positions not only that we would just not feel comfortable with, uh, or we, most, many, uh, but also uh, just this is not, the church doesn't need to be involving itself in some of the things that the NAA was involving itself. And so um, th there were several speeches made on both sides, as you can imagine, uh, but, but this, uh, we finally, after many attempts, uh, did approve to leave this organization. It's an organization that, that no other uh, church that's in sort of the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition uh, is a part of. And so I'm, I, I think this was a good decision. Uh, I think we'll be more thankful for it uh, in, in years to come. But uh, it was a contentious debate, uh, even uh, leading to, to some men protesting, formally lodging a protest against the vote, and that will just be recorded in the, in the minutes. Um, third, number three uh, on your paper, uh, we heard a report of the study committee on domestic abuse and sexual assault, the DASA study committee. And you can read this online. If you want to read, it's a 220-page report. 
Uh, but if you're interested in this topic, uh, you can just Google that and you will find it. Uh, some of you may be aware that right around the time that the assembly was uh, meeting, uh, a report was issued by the Southern Baptist Church. It was more of an investigative report. They were investigating uh, their, their churches and cases within their churches. It was a pretty uh, damning, indicting re report. Uh, this report was not an investigative uh, report, although uh, one of the recommendations from the study committee was that we would do sort of a denomination-wide assessment just to see where things stand in, in terms of abuse in the PCA. Uh, this report, though, uh, was more of seeking to give a biblical and confessional understanding uh, of what is uh, abuse, as well as addressing uh, questions about domestic abuse and uh, women who abuse, uh, child uh, sexual abuse or child abuse in general, adult sexual abuse, spiritual abuse. Um, and so it was a, a very well done uh, report. I haven't read the entire 220 pages yet, but, but certainly the parts I've read and then the, the presentation uh, was, was encouraging and was helpful. Um, and so there were no actions that came out of this report uh, but there were uh, recommendations that Sessions would, uh, would seriously consider and, and take into account the things that they've written here, uh, that they would um, uh, you know, be deliberate and thoughtful about policies for the prevention of and response to abuse, uh, engaging with third parties when abuse allegations arise, being informed of the mandatory reporting laws. So, so good and important things. Um, because certainly uh, there, are, there are times in, in the life of a church, as I'm sure you've seen on, on TV and, and, and on the Internet, that uh, abuse cases arise. And, and, and oftentimes uh, sessions are slow um, uh, to, to, to take seriously allegations or um, don't handle it well. Uh, and so this is going to be a, a good tool uh, for, for sessions and presbyteries to have at its disposal. Uh, number four on your sheet. Uh, and here's coming back to the Westminster Confession of Faith, the statement I was just reading a little while ago. Uh, we did uh, issue, we voted to issue a humble petition uh, to our president and to the leaders of Congress, the governors and leaders of state legislatures. And you notice the little phrase there, omnibus motion. What that means is uh, Ken was talking about the uh, different committees of commissioners where there's one committee called the Overtures Committee. And that committee meets ahead of time to bring recommendations to the, the General Assembly. And, uh, and so there were lots and lots and lots of those recommendations. And so in order to save time, if a, all the recommendations that, I don't know what the number was, but you know, say was like 80% to 20% or, or better, right? That like it was a massive majority. Uh, we just put those in what's called an omnibus motion that essentially we're not gonna debate these. We're not gonna discuss these. We're just gonna, you know, is there any objection? Hearing none, so ordered. Um, and so, uh, it's somewhat unfortunate that this motion uh, was put part of that omnibus motion. And I said, I say unfortunately because uh, it sort of all it happened, and we didn't even realize what we had done, right? Because you know there were like twenty or so different motions in that omnibus motion. And after the fact, you're like, hey, you know what? We just petitioned the the government of the United States to end abortion. Right? And then as the, end, as the assembly was ending, right, is when the, uh, the ruling came down from the Supreme Court, um, uh, not connecting necessarily our, our vote to petition and their, uh, uh, their decision, um, right, because I'm sure they hadn't even received our, uh, our, 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 our communication. But, but listen to this. Uh, I do want to read this. Uh, God declares in sacred scripture that civil government, no less than the church, is a divine institution and owes its authority to God. The Bible is the supreme revelation of God's will and teaches that the unborn child is a human person deserving the full protection of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. 
We who love our nation in the name of God, who alone is sovereign, call upon you to renounce the sin of abortion, to repent of the complicity in the mass slaughter of innocent unborn children who are persons in the sight of God, and to reverse the ruinous direction of both law and practice in this area. The obedience to God which places us in subjection to your rightful authority requires of us to proclaim the counsel of God as it bears upon the same God-given authority. Uh, and so uh, because this is a case extraordinary, to use the language from the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, we did humbly petition uh, our state. Uh, this is a moral issue, uh, one that, um, as we know, is, is certainly just because the Supreme Court ruling comes down, it's not like this issue's over, right? Uh, by no means. And so um, I'm sure this, this statement is still going to uh, be sent to our, our leaders, uh, but let's continue to pray uh, for the Lord to end uh, this great evil in our country. Uh, number five on your sheet. Uh, this one may be a little bit more in the weeds, but it is important. Uh, we voted 1245 to 521 to change the language of two chapters in our Book of Church order. Uh, and none of this is some legal words, but, but bear with me. Raising the threshold for request for a higher court to assume original jurisdiction in a case where a session or a presbytery does not indict a member in a doctrinal case or an instance of public scandal. And here's what that means. Um, if, a, if a session or if a presbytery uh, has a, a, a member of its court, a, a fellow teaching elder or say a ruling elder or say a member in the congregation, and, and sort of everyone knows about it, right? Everyone knows like something's going on there. Uh, and maybe everyone's thinking like something wrong happened, right? The heresy or a public scandal, a sin, a scandal, a sin. And everybody looks and says, wait, that church or that presbytery isn't dealing with it. Um, how do you, uh, how, how do we, you know, make them deal with it as it were? How do, what do we do? What recourse do we have as, as sort of higher courts? Well, uh, the, the, the previous language of the BCO uh, said that two uh, sessions or presbyteries, depending on the level, right, session, presbytery, general assembly, uh, could, um, could make a request that the higher court, right, which would be the presbytery for dealing with sessions or the general assembly for dealing with presbyteries, that the higher court could take original jurisdiction. That is, we'll take the case as, it happened, as if it happened in our own bounds. Um, the problem was, even though it only took two uh, courts to make that request, the, the, the previous standard, the current standard, uh, is that uh, the lower court had to have refused to act. Um, and, and the problem is that that language is so broad and ambiguous. What does it mean to refuse to act? Well, you could say, well, well we didn't refuse to act. We, we listened to the complaint and we, we, we acted on it. We just didn't do anything about it. Uh, and so the, the, the higher courts had a hard time feeling like bound by the Constitution that they could say, no, you refuse to act. We need to take original jurisdiction. All that to say, what we, what we changed it is that now... Um, it's it's ten percent of the of the the lower courts have to you have to have a higher threshold to to make the request. But now the the standard uh, is better. The standard is um, that if a session or presbytery does not indict a member, does not bring a charge against a member in a doctrinal case or an instance of public scandal, uh, then the higher court shall take original jurisdiction. So. Uh, what, that, what that does is that it makes it easier, in a way, uh, for um, churches or presbyteries to say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Something's not being done. Um, and, and this has come up uh, in uh, the next number, the last one that you'll see, um, uh, in, in regards to homosexuality. Uh, this has come up 
uh, several times because uh, if Presbyterians don't seem to be acting with regard to a member um, who is saying, hey, I'm a homosexual Christian and, and it doesn't matter or, or you know, they don't think that's a, a problem, um, how can the other Presbyterians say, hey, wait a minute, General Assembly, you need to get involved here? And so the hope, this is, you know, obviously we have to go through that same process of two-thirds of the presbyteries and another general assembly. The hope is that that, that change will be, will be helpful. Um, again, if you have questions about that, maybe we can talk later. The last one, and then Eddie's going to come up and share uh, some thoughts about his experience with regard to these in particular. Uh, these are some of the changes uh, that we approved at the general assembly level regarding this, this pressing, urgent vital issue of homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And, and for the sake of time, I won't read uh, these paragraphs, but um, we, uh, we voted, there were three separate uh, overtures that dealt with this. One uh, was in the omnibus motion, sort of the motion that we, we did without actually taking a counted vote. Uh, and it added language regarding requirements for ordination to two chapters in the BCO. Um, and, and sort of just a broad uh, statement that, hey, when we examine, you know, candidates for the ministry or candidates for uh, elder and deacon, we need to make sure that we give specific attention to these uh, personal character issues. Um, and, and particularly, uh, even though, you know, the word homosexuality is not mentioned there, it's certainly uh, sort of behind the, the curtain, as it were. It's, it's between the lines that, that we want to make sure that when folks are even confessing their sin, uh, you notice the language that they exercise great care not to diminish the seriousness of those sins in the eyes of the congregation as though they were matters of little consequence, but rather testify to the work of the Holy Spirit and his progress and holiness. So that's one. Uh, and then the, the second bullet point, uh, which was a very encouraging uh, vote total, 1922 to 200. Um, so you, know, you see like most of the commissioners were there, right, for this vote and discussion, as you could imagine. Um, and here uh, is, I, I will read this, the, um, uh, the second sentence, while office bearers will see spiritual perfection only in glory, they will continue in this life to confess and to mortify remaining sins in light of God's work of progressive sanctification. Therefore, to be qualified for office, they must affirm the sinfulness of fallen desires, the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, and be committed to the pursuit of spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions. And, and so uh, this is getting at the, the, the point that uh, we don't believe that, that same-sex acts merely are sinful, but same-sex attraction, same-sex desire, right? The desire for sin is sin. Uh, we also believe that, that any um, desire can be mortified and, and ought to be mortified, a sinful desire, and, and that people can change. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Progressive sanctification is real. And so uh, that's why this, uh, this, this call to affirm the sinfulness of fallen desires, the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, uh, be committed to the, to the pursuit uh, of spirit-empowered victory over sinful uh, temptations. Uh, so this was a very important um, language, and I was very glad to see what a what a, a large vote count that received. I, I do believe uh, that it, it it has good uh, good chance to to pass the the presbyteries. Uh, the last one um, less likely, I think, to pass the presbyteries. Just you can just tell by looking at the vote count: eleven sixty seven to nine seventy eight. Uh, it, it would be much more specific. Uh, I, I think it's a, a good, um, I, I, I'm for the change. I think it would be good to have this in our book of church order, but if it doesn't happen, um, I, I don't think we need to completely lose heart and think the PCA has is, is failed to, um, 
you know, remain firm on the, uh, the issue of homosexuality. Uh, and the reason I say that, you can see what the language is. We're trying to say you cannot describe yourself as, as homosexual, a gay Christian. Um, the, the reason why I say that I wouldn't lose heart if this didn't pass is because I know I've talked to many conservative, very faithful men who are troubled by a lot of different uh, things with regard to this overture, whether it's even, you know, where it is in the book of church order, chapter seven, instead of another chapter. Um, a lot of people feel like, look, our, our standards are already clear. We already, with our confession of faith and book of church order, should be able to hold people uh, accountable for the way they speak about themselves and their identity. Um, other, others feel that uh, by putting this language in the book of church order, you would end up with sort of a magic words test that would lead some to, to sort of go to one extreme on the conservative end and, and maybe other presbyteries to go to an extreme and say, hey, he didn't say the language. And so, uh, you know, we're going to approve him because he didn't say the magic words, even though the, the underlying theology of same-sex attraction and sort of side B uh, views, if you're familiar with that, that language, is, uh, is still there. Um, and so uh, I say all that to, to, to just uh, say I, I'm, I really hope this does pass. I think it's an important uh, statement to define uh, what we believe, and yet we need to, I, I would probably caution us against if it doesn't pass, which again, two-thirds of the 88 presbyteries have to pass it, and when you look at a vote that close, you know that uh, that's, that's probably unlikely. Um, but uh, I will just stop there and let Eddie, because uh, you said you had 10 minutes or so, probably just, you close it out, and I'll close this in prayer, and if you have questions, uh, feel free to email me, grab me after um, but uh, let's. Uh, oh, Eddie, you're going to talk about why we don't have a video. You're going to say something about that. You can go ahead. Yeah, we wanted to show you a video. Uh, o. Palmer Robertson, Murray, where's Murray? Murray's dad uh, had a, a beautiful speech in regard to this last overture in particular. But unfortunately, our, we have some technical difficulties, and we weren't able to show you the video. So Eddie's just going to talk about it. <laughs> the speech was so strong, and it was so impactful. That I would encourage you to go look it up on um, YouTube. You look under, under, just look it up under GA. It's only five minutes long. And I wanted to play it because it would give you a feel for what GA is like and what the discussions are like on the floor to hear the back and forth. But um, not just because he's Palmer Robinson, but this man is a, uh, a giant in the faith with tremendous respect. And he gave a very, very strong argument and defense for Overture 15. And he even showed the progression of how we got to where we are now. So I'm gonna spend just a couple of minutes on Overture uh, 15, and I'm gonna share some, some of my concerns of, that if it doesn't pass, what some people think could happen. But first of all, I just wanna thank you for sending me as a delegate um, last year, I went as a newbie to St. Louis, and it was very exciting, and it was a highlight to see how our denomination works. And I came away encouraged by the experience and confident the PCA was in good hands and headed in the right direction. This year was enjoyable as I met old friends and new ones from all over the country. Our church was well represented as uh, Ken's already said we had three booths on the exhibit floor, six voting delegates. My brother David was there. I got to spend time with him, watch him interact with and network with all his Hispanic, his Hispanic buddies. Um, 
But this time GA was a little different and um, as because some of the issues were so overwhelming and we came away with, with some concerns. Last year GA passed a substantial, uh, by substantial margin, a strong overture that would finally address the issue we talk about on Overture 15, specifically about homosexuality. Many were optimistic that it would pass in the presbyteries. It failed by just a small margin. So it did not go through. So this year it was reworded, and it's the last, it's the one that Caleb read. It's the very last one on your page. And so and the reworded overture passed by a much smaller number on the GA floor. Palmer Robertson's strong floor speech shows the progression of how we got here. His speech was powerful, but some say these old timers need to go away. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they're out of touch with reality. He also clearly stated it's time to draw a line in the sand. He said it over and over again. And uh, he says it stops here. So he, he gave a strong argument to pass Overture 15. Another person that meant, there were lots of people that spoke up, but another one that meant a lot to me was a chaplain named Henry Bolio. And he says that in the military that they don't have anything in writing to defend themselves from supervisors. And he says we need something that we can show our supervisors that tell them that, that our denomination says we cannot participate, encourage, or support this behavior. He also said it would protect the men under him. So he wanted it for that reason, for a whole different reason than um, what some of the others wanted for. Um, so the, as Palm Robertson says, the line has been drawn, the future of the PCA will be impacted. It doesn't mean that we're gonna fall apart, but it means it will be impacted. So some people say, and Caleb already stole some of my thunder, why would elders not support Overture 15? A few of the things that we heard is they don't like the language of it, calling it inflammatory and loving. Some say that you can't list every sin in the broken church order. Says you can't do that because you never end. But this one is so pervasive and egregious, it demands a response. And Palmer Robertson pointed out very clear where scripture stands on this. And he read, he read Romans 1. He even made the comment in some of the countries he goes to that if you read Romans 1 out loud or in a public setting, that you could be arrested. Some others say that it's already addressed in the um, Westminster Confession. It doesn't need its own statement. Um, some say it's time for old guys to move on, the young ones to take over. Some, um, some don't support it on principle. Some say we need to, to um, accept side B. Now, I'm not going to talk about side B today. A lot of, most of you are familiar with it. But side B and the Revoice Conference is where a lot of this originated from. So our response will have wide implications. Other denominations are watching to see how we handle this issue. So you might say, and, and um, Caleb mentioned this a little bit, what happens if Overture 15 doesn't pass the presbyteries? Well, there are possibilities, and doesn't mean that all these are gonna happen, but there are possibilities. Does it mean there's gonna be more overtures? Maybe, but some say the conservatives are, are tired of the fight, and the number of the overtures on this issue will drop. In the last three or more years, 
Every option has been pursued. Judicial action, study reports, uh, overture after overture to change the book of church order. All have failed to change the direction of the PCA. Do we think there's gonna be a split? No, we don't think so. Um, the overture on sanctification came from conservative presbyteries and they probably won't push it any further. They will, it will likely be adopted and some say that the problem is resolved. Now, this was a big one. We already mentioned, Kayla mentioned earlier, the number of ruling elders at General Assembly has skyrocketed. And a lot of that happened last year at St. Louis, and then again, uh, we broke the record in Birmingham. Why? Because of this issue. They came out of the woodwork, and that's why they were there. The first General Assembly was in Birmingham in 1973. 50 years later, maybe some of the vision of the Founding Fathers is in jeopardy. As a side note, my father was present at the first GA, and he signed the first document to form the PCA. My brother David was also there as a very young man just getting started in the ministry. There is still much hope. Every generation faces its test and how it responds. This is our test. As, as Palmer Robertson stated, the line is drawn. It's not over. Encourage everyone you know in the PCA, especially other presbyteries, to support Overture 15. Pray that the PCA would remain true to its roots and scriptures. Pray that our witness and influence would change hearts and eventually culture, not the other way around where, where we succumb to culture. Pray that those pushing the agenda would have a change of heart or be held accountable. The PCA was founded by the grassroots, and that's who can save and continue the PCA. Thank you. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Ken. Um, as Ken, or as Eddie just mentioned, uh, we're at 50 years as a denomination, and next year, the 50th anniversary is going to be in Memphis, uh, and so if you uh, want to drive three hours uh, sometime in June uh, and just check it out, it's not that far, uh, come see. It's going to be a big, uh, big celebration, uh, but Lord willing, it will also be a celebration of truth and of righteousness, uh, and, and I am, as Eddie mentioned, I'm encouraged. Uh, I think there was some uh, some neat things that happened and, and look forward to see. And of course, as Eddie also said, we've got to continue to pray uh, for our denomination as Presbyteries start to meet. Um, you know, most ours meets August and then November, and most votes will start to happen uh, here in the next few months. And so uh, do be in prayer uh, for, uh, for these matters. As I mentioned earlier, if you have any questions, um, feel free to, to ask any of us that were there. We'd love to engage with you. Um, Dean's not here this evening. He's off, but I'm sure he would love to talk as well. Um, and so we, it's, it's encouraging to see y'all here uh, tonight. And, and so we do pray for uh, your continued, ask for your continued prayer uh, for the church. So let me close this out. Um, and I'm, I'll be around if, if anybody wants to come up and ask questions even tonight. Uh, but let's pray and, and be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful uh, that you have promised uh, through your son to build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. And so we uh, trust in your promise. We look to you. Lord, to preserve us, to keep us. Uh, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And so would we uh, not swerve from that foundation and from his word? Oh Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with the presbyteries as they meet in coming months, as they uh, 
consider these uh, overtures that have been approved by the assembly and now come before them. And Lord, would you uh, be with the conversation, the debate, uh, the uh, deliberation and discussion and uh, the, the thinking and praying that goes on in, in each man's heart. We ask the Lord uh, that your truth and righteousness would prevail, uh, that our denomination would stay uh, firmly committed uh, to your word. Oh Lord, we, we thank you so much for uh, the, the work that you are doing through us, uh, through uh, missionaries and church planners and campus ministers, uh, local church pastors and uh, seminary professors. Lord, you are at work and we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. Uh, would you be with sessions? Would you be with uh, those who engage in women's ministry and youth ministry and children's ministry? Lord, special needs ministries and uh, ministries of every uh, shape and, and style. We pray, Father, uh, that in all things the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, would be uh, maintained and persistently committed to. Uh, Lord, would you cause your word to go forth with great power? Would you encourage uh, all of those who lead our denomination? Uh, Lord, would you give them wisdom and courage? Would you give them uh, conviction? Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, that the elders of our congregation would continue, or of our denomination, would continue to, to be involved, continue to rise up, Lord, and, and to, to work for the, the, the peace and the purity of the church. And Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for uh, those who are here. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would continue to encourage us, continue to use us as we uh, serve you here in this area. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.